Here we go. Episode 28 of the Lucas Grandsire podcast. I don't need to keep saying it, but I'm going to keep saying it. It's the podcast, the most creative name in the business for the most creative guy in the business. Very excited about our guest today. I don't even know what where to start in the intro. MMA fighter, writer. I'm seeing you're an analyst as well. I feel like you do everything in this industry, but it is, of course, Jillian DeCourcy. What's going on? Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of just developed into uh, kind of getting involved in all different aspects um, recently. Here, let me see. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because it's like you're, you're looking at the intro and then, I mean, I see that you're writing. I see that you're analyzing the the fights. I mean, it looks like you're you're doing everything pretty much fighter as well. Like, is there one that we can pin you down or is it just are, are you kind of everything in this industry? Um, I, I mean, I'm more of a fighter. The other ones are just kind of like they just kind of have to do quarantine and trying to stay active um, and keep my name out there. And um, I'm not like the best at like promoting myself and like uh kind of like uh, talking crap and all that kind of stuff. So this was like an interesting way of trying to keep my, you know, my name in the mix um, during some downtime. It seems like it was effective, though, because I'm seeing like you have a lot of engagement on Twitter. It seems like a lot of people value your opinions and stuff like that. It seems like it was a great way to market yourself. Yeah, it, I mean, it didn't. It, it I didn't initially think it was going to like take off that way. But now it's like it's really become um you know, something pretty cool, um, a cool way to engage with fans and just kind of, you know, stay active. And I'm always watching fights anyway. So it's like, hey, why don't we why don't we add this in? Speaking of watching fights, I wasn't able to watch it, but I did wake up to chaos on Twitter about, you know, a fighter losing his <gasps> finger out there. Everyone was Jeez. trying to figure out, is it under the cage? I mean, were you watching that one live? Oh, yeah, I was watching that one. That was, oh, my God, that was that was nuts. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm looking through the tweets and people are like, you know, and I'm seeing the timeline happen where they're like, oh, they've asked the fans to start looking under the cage there. It's in the glove. I'm sitting there. I'm thinking, like, what is going on? Like, what is this? It was so confusing. Um, you know what it turned out to be, right? It was uh, it was in the glove, right? I heard he yeah, got kicked yeah. and then, yeah, I got got stuck in the glove grappling, I believe. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had um, uh, like uh, an experience with the the actual the those like type of gloves um the cage fairy gloves my first fight with them um the first round my hand was actually out of my glove um like two of the fingers for most of the the round um but i thought it was just because hey my hands were small and the gloves are those gloves are a little bit big on me but um i guess it's uh <laughs> something going on there That's i'm glad my fingers stayed in tech though right yeah that i mean that was disgusting i mean it just mm. The, the way, you know, it's like, it's one thing people were losing the fingers, but when people started getting specific about it, I was like, nah, you guys, like, you know, I, I love fighting and all that stuff, but you got to chill. Like, that's disgusting. Yeah, no, nah, I, I get grossed out by that kind of stuff. I get all like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> but so, so would you say that, you know, since you fought in those gloves, do you think there really is a problem with the gloves at that point? Like, is it safe to say? Because I saw some people speculating, but you've had experience with it. I mean, well, like if you, I mean, if we, if we think of like how many fights like that they've had, and this is the first time where someone like kind of lost a finger. All right, odds are, uh, you know, in the in the favor that it's not a common thing. Um, but you know, anytime it's like, it, it it's touch and go because those gloves do I feel like feel uh favor a grappler because the ones that have like those uh that extra bars in the in your palm, so they keep your hand on you know your glove in the hand better, but um hand in the glove better but at the same time you you can't grapple as well because it keeps your it, it you can't close your hand as as much so it's like you know touch and go it's you're always going to have people that are going to prefer one type over another and you kind of just go you got to go with what you get at that night if I was doing my best Joe Rogan impression I would start talking about Trevor Whitman and how he's got the solution <laughs> Jamie pulled that up we saw it on the podcast but yeah, I'm not Joe Rogan. I don't have a jalapeno CBD <laughs> drink or what. It's super crazy thing. But I mean, what's the solution glove wise? Because you're someone that trains with them, competes with them. Like, what? I mean, is there truly a glove that would be best? Um, I mean, it's it, people say like, oh, you know, now there's the finger pokes that have been happening so much more often. But it's, I mean, whatever you do, it's gonna, you know, favor. All right, this glove will favor striker. This glove will favor uh, a grappler. This glove is safer, but. There's, I, I feel like there's really not like a, a one set solution um, because there's always going to be some, you know, form of a fighter that isn't happy with, with the type of glove. 
That's the thing, right? We saw some people that are like, oh, we want the pride glove where your hands naturally curl. But then people were yeah. like, all right, so what about grappling, though? Because yeah, like, people you're have like, to. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> what is that? I mean, yeah, it's like, or, or I mean, what's the solution? Is it to go bare knuckle where everybody has a million cuts? You lose all your <laughs> knuckles by the time you're 30? Like, I mean, what's the solution? Right. Um, I mean, one, I guess, would be don't illegally grab your gloves, right? That's <laughs> that's one point <laughs> that's of fair. it. That's fair. <laughs> um. But, you know, I mean, it's going to happen. People are always going to try and find little tricks that they can do, like sly. You know, it's it, unfortunate. It's part of the sport. Um, I, I personally really just despise glove grabbing. I think it's a real punk move. But, you know, <laughs> it happens. Well, what's like something behind the scenes that people watching at home, like it's like the fighters do to gain an advantage that maybe we don't catch it. You know what I mean? Sometimes you hear people are real slick about pulling hair and stuff like that. Is there something that we're missing at home that you realize happening in the fight? Um, I mean, I haven't really had like real like experiences like that. Um, the worst thing that I've had somebody do is continually like grab the cage to stop takedowns. Um, yeah. You know, and that that's that's annoying. Um, but it's like, all right, it doesn't necessarily you're not putting damage on me, but you are like, you know, you are changing the, you know, the pace of the fight. Um, I mean, I think it really just depends like on, you know, different fighters. Um, there are fighters that just tend to try and always find like those little loopholes like, oh, all right, if I'm, you know, if I'm I'm inside and I'm grabbing the glove, nobody can see that. Um, I mean, that yeah. is a common thing that happens, especially when you're going for like chokes and things and you're you're underneath the person. Nobody's going to know if you're grabbing that glove. That Yeah, that's I mean, it, it's scary. When, or like, you know, Tanner Bozer was talking about some of the stuff his training partners were doing training. He was like, you know, I had to trim my beard. He was like, guys were pulling my beard to get out of submissions. <laughs> he was like, people were, you know, wrapping their hands in the hair like and, and, and training. If you're going to act like an idiot, that would be the place to do it. Right. Not when you're out there in the cage. Right. Um, I mean, one thing that it, girls do tend to do is, um, I mean, not, not tend to do, but there are, there have been um, ones that have, I've known that have done this. Um, luckily, no one I, I fought, um, but like they'll like do um, different things like with their hair braiding, um, because it gets really, it can get really coarse, especially if you add like lots of hairspray and things and you can um, use it to kind of cut oh. your opponent as you're like grappling and grinding them, you know, against the cage. Wow, that's super interesting. I think that's something like people see the braids. I don't think people realize that. Like, man, when, yeah. when it comes to getting advantages, that that's a that's a crazy thing. The the hairspray. I didn't even I didn't even think about something like that. I know we talk about greasing, but hairspray to get cuts. And if you think yeah. about it, it does make sense. Yeah, because you know we do, like you when you get your hair braid, you have, like you know if you get it really tight. Um, yeah. It's it's like a rock. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I say that not having a lot of hair, but I would assume looking at people that have more hair that can have braids, like, yeah, you would want to get that thing tight. Yeah, like, I, I mean, I'm a, I more braid my hair, like, uh, to make it look cool and, uh, like, yeah. for, but, you know, um, like, my last fight, um, I had, like, uh, put, like, extra color, like, uh, extra color hair in my, in my braids, and they were, like, checking it out, and, like, oh, well, if it was here, we would have to take, you would have to take it out, um, because, you know, it's, like, a it can be like a, a weapon. And I was like, yeah. that wasn't my intent. It just matched my outfit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm trying to look cool and you're trying to make me out to be someone that's cheating. It's like, it's yeah. just green or blue or whatever it is. Like, it's, it's not that deep. Sounds like it matches. <laughs> but so what's like the, the best hairstyle? Because I, I think like we've seen different fighters, you know, men and women, obviously, but like Benson Henderson, his his hairstyle is leave it out there and do this the entire I, yeah, fight. I, I don't understand that. So what is it like? I mean, it, like a ponytail, I feel like, you know, obviously someone that doesn't have a ponytail, but I feel like it would start to have strands coming out that would bother you, right? Like is right. the, the cornrows, the braids, is that really like the best thing for you? Um, in my opinion, that's the best. Um, and I don't even like, like some of the girls like will braid their hair into like a ponytail. Yeah. Um, for me, I'm like, I, I need it straight flat back, um, especially because I'm more of a grappler. And I find that, you know, that ponytail kind of gets in the way when you're trying to like sneak out and it just like little tiny things um, can totally like change the game. Um, so for me, it's like straight back braids. So if you were to do them too tight, right, and that starts pulling on your skin, would that lead to more cuts? Like, would you be more prone since your skin is tighter in that situation? Um, I mean, potentially, I would say I would think so, right? Because like you know, we look like aliens sometimes after we get our hair braided. <laughs> like, little, like your eyes are popping out, and you're like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> 
or uh, I had I had Max Griffin where he was showing me his hairstyle for the fight, and uh, you know he shows me and he goes, "Bro, this is so tight." He was like, "It hurts," and you could see like where it was pulling on his yeah. skin. I mean, wouldn't it be distracting though? You go out there and you have your hair that tight, like it might look cool, but I feel like you've got so much to think about. You really want your head like throbbing on top of it. Yeah, I mean, like I haven't really had that experience. Like I, I usually get my hair braided like the night before, so there's time for it to kind of like settle in. Um, right. And most of the, you know, most, I mean, most of the people I go to anyway, um, they know they're braiding it for a fight. So it's like, you know, they're not trying to make it where it's like going to hurt. That, that, yeah, that does make sense. <laughs> While we talk about cheating though, we, well, or cheating, whatever, illegal stuff. <laughs> we saw Bilal Muhammad uh, and Leon Edwards go out there, the big eye poke, all that stuff. Yep. How did you feel about Nate Diaz getting that fight against Leon Edwards? Like, how did you feel about that whole situation? I feel like everyone had an opinion on it, but what was your take on it? I mean, you know, I think it's just, hey, he's like, you know, going on opportunity. It, you know, it is what it is. It's part of the game. You know, sometimes things have, like, unfortunate endings, like an eye poke or, you know, an injury. Um, they happen. Um, and, you know, you got to just move on with it. And, and people are going to take opportunities. So take it. So for you as a fighter, you were cool with Bilal. Uh, well, I, I guess I shouldn't word it like that. But basically, you know, Leon not fighting Bilal a second time. It seems like that's what people wanted. Like, that seemed like kind of the fair thing to do in that situation. You you know how it goes. <laughs> it's like it's not yeah. always what's fair that happens or, like, what we, we think should happen. Um, it's, it's who you know, what fights are going to bring the money, what, you know, um, and who's asking for it at the time. I, I know Leon went on Joe Rogan's podcast. And I thought it was interesting because they got in a, a mini debate a little bit where they were talking about should Bilal get that rematch. And I really like that Leon, you know, stuck to his guns because sometimes right. he can be tough on a big platform. But he was like, listen, that's not the big fight for my career. That's not what's going to give me the title shot. I mean, I appreciated right. the honesty because, uh, you know, as much as we all like Bilal, he's got a great Twitter game and, you know, a great fighter as well. Right. But it's like, yeah, that's not necessarily the fight that's probably going to get you the, the notoriety. And especially in this situation with Nate Diaz, that you would want right. in that situation. Right. And, you know, I think a lot of fighters, um, you're really kind of thinking of like, you know, trying to think of like their, their, their big game picture. Right. Um, because at the end of the day, it is a business. Um, and, you know, people have to have to do what they need to do. That's going to be in their best interest. Um, and that's not necessarily what fans are going to like, but, you know, they do, fighters do have to look out for, for themselves. Right. And for their families and, you know, how are they going to, you know, do what they need to do to provide for their families. I do have to say, though, I saw a lot of criticism, like, how does this make sense and stuff? I, you know, I kind of like it. I love the circus stuff. I'm not talking right. Gracie Shamrock <laughs> at 60. But, like, this is the kind of fun fight where nobody's champion. You're not going to hold up the division. Like, I don't know. I like it. And if Nate Diaz wins, you could argue he could get a title shot. I mean, it'd be kind of weird. But, like, you know, he'd have a small case for it. Right. Leon, you know, it, it's, a, it's a win. Gets him back where he needs to be. Like, I don't know. It's a, it's a fun fight. And I like that, you know, it really doesn't hold up the division if you think about it. Right. Right. Exactly. And it's, you know, it's, it's not always what, uh, what we think makes sense that, that, uh, they yeah. make happen. Right. <laughs> I mean, what is it? If it makes dollars, it makes sense. Right. And this one as a co-main event, five round or two weird weirdness on top of weirdness. Like, right. I don't know. I, I mean, I wrote a whole article on how I liked it. And even my editor kind of added like, you know, hot take or bombs. Cause it was kind of like, right. you know, Lucas is cheering for this fight that everybody hates, but I, you know, I, I, I like it. I like the weirdness in the MMA game. Yeah, and people are going to tune in. So at the end of the day, that's that's what matters. For sure. For for you as an analyst, you look at this fight real quick without studying tape or anything. If you had to sort of pick how the fight goes, how it looks like, what's what's kind of the the early prediction or the early like analysis for this one? Um, I mean, I think Diaz is going to do what uh, what he does. Um, you know, kind of like a uh, little awkward like striking style, just come out hard and then get into the ground and and you know kind of dominate there. So you, so you, you like Nate Diaz in this fight? Um, I mean, I, I, I don't like him like personality wise, but I've come to like respect him like over time, um, because he, he just says and does what, what he needs to do. Um, but then he also kind of, you know, he, he, he puts his money where his mouth is. Um, and I, you know, I really respect his grappling game. For sure. And I, I think we saw, I think, you know, if people that follow Diaz knew about the jujitsu and all that stuff, right, that wasn't a surprise. And then he right. submitted McGregor and people all of a sudden were like, wow, the boxer can, it's yeah. like, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's not the no, boxer. Yeah. It's, it's like jujitsu and boxing. Obviously he's a right. very good boxer, but he's got both. You know what I mean? It's not a surprise. Like Connor, the big joke was, oh, so you're, you're a wrestler now. That, right. That's the surprise. But 
you know, Nate Diaz does need more respect on the ground because he's, I mean, he's got the iconic middle finger submission and all that stuff. So he's definitely had right. those moments on the ground. Yeah, I, I think, it, you know, I, I respect his ground game a lot. Um, you know, he, he's, a, you know he's, he's very skilled on the ground that, um, you know, I don't think he gets enough credit for sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I think what it is is that his his wrestling isn't very good. Like, I think the fight against RDA kind of showed us where his right. wrestling was. And I think a lot of people saw that and figured, okay, your ass on the ground, stick to striking. But he's had enough moments where you know that, you know, like there's different levels to this game as you're right. watching it. Like, there's so many elements. You you could be good on the ground, but still have weaknesses in other areas. Right, right, absolutely. Um, you know, it's because there's there's always that middle part of the game, right, where we have the striking, we have the grappling, but then there's all that time that's in between where it's you're not striking and you're not grappling at the same time. Um, and you're it's it's like the people that can find that place in that middle ground, those are the ones that are you know really next level. So with that being said, if someone came to you, or I'm sure they have, or your DMs must be filled with, you know, amateur MMA fighters that are never going to go pro, but what would be like the best base to start? Like, I think for some people looking at it, you think maybe kickboxing and a mixture of wrestling, something like that. But if you had to recommend someone, you're starting out from scratch, like what would be kind of the best sort of base to, to sort of start off with? I mean, I feel like I'm biased in, in this question, but uh, <laughs> um, I would say, I would say working like the ground game. Um, because in a, you know, in my, my opinion, I feel like that's the hardest piece to develop, um, to a high level. Um, I feel like it, you know, the time that it takes just to learn, like, you know, not even like not basic level jujitsu, but like, you know, really like how to make, you know, how to really be good on the ground. Um, it takes so much time. So just in the, in the time factor, um, I would recommend starting with like, you know, jujitsu or like a, a, a ground piece and then filling everything in. I think the interesting thing was I talked to Curtis Blades when he was coming off the Justin Willis fight, you know, the famous big titties, go home, all that fun <laughs> stuff. But, you know, we were talking about Justin's ground game. And something interesting that Curtis said was he was like, you know, to get to my level of wrestling, you don't get that by training. He was like, right. you have to be in the collegiate like wrestling programs. He's like, if you don't go through the high school, college programs, wrestling's like, you can't get to my level. But it, it kind of feels like, you know, if you, you look at some of these guys, like, you know, wrestling at that kind of level isn't for everybody. So you sort of look at it like you're at a disadvantage if you can't get into one of these programs. Right. Right. Or if it's just not, um, cause not everybody starts doing like a combat sport, you know, yeah. um, from the, you know, from the time they're a little kid, um, it, you know, especially with wrestling, um, you know, geographically, um, that plays a huge role. Um, like, you know, for example, I, I grew up in Queens, um, in, in New York and we didn't within the city wrestling really wasn't, something that existed all right if you go out onto long island um you know it's huge out on the islands but you know geographically that's you're gonna have a big you know there's a big difference there all right boxing and things like that are are a lot bigger um within the city but you're not getting you know you know most of the time um you know wrestling programs are smaller more more condensed um within the city so i think that that plays a uh, a factor in things as well and uh, you, you mentioned geographically, and yours was very specific. Like, you're looking at it within New York State, but even <laughs> if you look at it more globally, right, a lot mm -hmm. of people was like, you need to go to America to learn how to wrestle, right? Like, if you're in England, if you're in Europe, especially places like France, stuff like that, right. they're like, you're just not going to learn how to wrestle. And a lot of these guys, they come in, and people are like, oh, you're a kickboxer because you're from out there. But right. then you have someone like a Leon Edwards that comes in and shows people, like, look, I have a good ground game. Or, or someone right. that flew under the radar when he was on The Ultimate Fighter, Saul Rogers, you know, coming from England. He showed up and he was grounding and pounding everybody, taking them to the ground. Everybody was like, hold on, wait a minute. Like, you're English. You shouldn't, shouldn't have a good wrestling base. Right. But so, I mean, is that the solution? Like, you know, come over to America or have we reached that point where we can, you know, outside of the country, people can have that high level? Um, I think it's just, I think it depends on the individual, right? Because um, some people need to be like surrounded by, you know, the elite in, in that sport. Um, other people can just, you know, drill and like, just learn from, you know, more like a distance. I mean, like, right, I have a good training partner. I know, hey, these are the drills we need to do. I can just drill them out and, and they excel. Um, so I think it's a very individualized thing um, of what people need. Uh, one, one thing I want to get your take on, because I know you're big into women's MMA, obviously, which makes sense because that, that's how you compete. But <laughs> we saw two fighters get called up to the UFC yesterday with uh, Lupita Godinez from uh, LFA. And I believe she was the yep. LFA champion as well. And then Erin Blanchfield was one of those yep. prospects. Like if you've been paying attention, people have been talking about her since the start. How, how did you feel about those two signings? I mean, did you like them? Did you think it was too soon? Maybe, maybe no. even too late? How'd you like them? Uh, 
I mean, Erin, um, you know, I, uh, I cross train with Erin sometimes. Um, she comes out um, and spars with us over in uh, Long Island MMA. Um, and, you know, I mean, you know, she's been waiting. Um, I think she's someone that, you know, is very deserving of the of the shot. Um, I think she, she's ready for it. Um, you know, she's fighting up a little bit um, in weight. But you know what? It's it, with those calls, it, you just have to take the opportunity that you get. Um, and I think I, I think she's going to do well. Um, you know, she's, she's kind of been in, uh, she's been, uh, supposed to having, uh, multiple fights, um, you know, in the last couple of months and they kept falling through. So she was really just kind of waiting for, you know, either, either a fight to come through, um, or to get that call. So, um, that one I'm pretty excited about. Um, and, you know, I think it's just right now, especially like since like kind of COVID really came down, um, you're seeing a lot of females, um, getting that, that bump, like really quickly, um, some that I'm like, yeah, I think really 100% deserve it. And other ones, it's like, Ooh, is that too soon for them? But I mean, at that point, you don't really, you don't have a choice. You don't get to make that yeah. choice. It's, yeah. Hey, you take this opportunity or you lose it. So, um, and I think with those, especially with the short notice call-ups, um, I don't think they have anything to lose because even if, even if the fight doesn't go the way that they want it to, um, they they still got the call. They're still in the UFC. So you know what? Then that that next fight, or the the pressure's on if they if they wind up losing that debut to pick it up that next fight. But um, you know they're there. So now you got to do what you got to do. It seems good, like for your standing with the UFC too, because it feels like they like when you take stuff on short notice, right? right. Obviously, they know you want to get signed, but they look at it favorably, like, hey, you stepped up when. Maybe nobody else did or whatever the situation, but it seems like just being willing to step up and in Aaron's case, you know, 125 or taking on someone who competed at 145 against six foot Megan Anderson. Like you look at that and it's like, that's got to have some kind of favor with, with the UFC. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, and she's, like I said, you know, um, I think she's going to do well, um, just the way her style is, um, and I don't think like the bright lights of the UFC are going to affect her too much. Um, it's just obviously, you know, the size, the sizes can always be a factor. Right. And I think for her too, like you sort of knew like the UFC was going to happen, right? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you, you get to Invicta and a lot of people, it's, but you know, you know why you're in Invicta it's to build yourself up to, right. get to the UFC, just like you do with the LFA. And I think for her, I think the one that put her on the radar was the big head kick knockout. I can't for the life of me remember her opponent's name, but if I saw it, I know it. That but was uh, Valerie, right? I, I, yeah, I completely, like I said, if I saw it written, I'd yeah. be like, yes, for sure it's that, but off the top of my head, it's like, I can't for the life of me remember it. Yeah, we fought. We fought. Actually, I fought on that card with her when uh, she got that the the head kick. <laughs> oh yeah, so that that's the one where no matter what yeah. you did, like people were gonna talk about that head kick. Yep. It was like, yeah, but I did I did stuff. It's like, yeah, but did you get the head no. kick? Like yeah, exactly. That? <laughs> it's a tough card. <laughs> but I think that was the thing for her too, right? Everybody was like, oh, jujitsu, 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 and then she knocks her out with a head kick, yep. and she's like, well, how's that for jujitsu? How'd you like that one? <laughs> Um, and I love that because um, I, I, you know, I always get pegged as like the grappler and then, you know, sometimes you're like, well, no, I'm, I'm a fighter. Like, you know, we, yeah. we, we do do it all and we train it all. We just have areas that we are, we're just, you're just going to like, you know, gravitate towards. Exactly. Exactly. That's the thing. I think people look at fighters and they're like a Francis Ngannou is a good example where people almost think like he doesn't want to wrestle or he doesn't like right training it or whatever it is i'm sure he's busting his ass in there but at the end of the day like when you have two breaks for hands like naturally you're gonna want to stand on the feet and he's right in, like that's what he's gonna gravitate towards i think people would be disappointed if he was double legging guys and just staying on top of him the whole fight right exactly <laughs> you, so, people, you, know, you tune into certain fighters for a specific reason well, it's like we talk about Nate Diaz, right? Where everybody's thinking of him as the boxer that stands across the cage with an incredibly long reach. Right. Where it's like, you know, he does more things in his game. But is there an advantage to that? Like people go into your fight and they think you're a grappler, but maybe you have a plan for him on the feet. Like, does that bring any kind of advantage? Um, I think so. I mean, like when I first turned pro, I was really um, in my, I guess, like in my own head about like, no, I'm going to I'm gonna show people that I'm not just a grappler. Um, and sometimes it worked out well, and then other times it, you know, what it, it it worked against me because I was forcing myself not to use my strength. Um, and you know, then slowly it got to the point where it was like, no, like, hey, you're really good at this aspect of the game. You know, we need to accentuate that and and make that our game plan. And so for the game plan thing, like I hear a lot of fighters, like obviously you're gonna have cliche answer during interviews because you can't give it away, but it's right. like. 
some guys are like, I'm just going to focus on my game or blah, blah, blah. But like, what, what's the truth behind that? Like when you guys are preparing is, I assume there's got to be a part where it's like, I got to do what I'm best at to beat this guy. But I'm sure you're also preparing for them too. When you're looking at the matchup, like I hear a lot right. of fighters, like, I'm not focusing on them, but I feel like you have to focus on them. Right. It'd be kind of, I feel like for a lot of guys, it'd be silly not to focus on your opponent at all. I mean, I think there's there's a mix with that because I, I, I know certain fighters that they don't watch the tape on their opponent at all, like their coaches will, and, and, and they yeah. leave it to, to that side of it. Um, I'm someone that I want to watch it myself because yeah. I want to see what your tendencies are. I want to, um, you know, at least like kind of know, all right, you tend to do this. But at the end of the day, like sometimes what somebody did for like five fights before you, then they come to the fight with you and they're doing something completely different. And you're like, well, I just spent, you know, two months planning yeah. for this and now you're not doing it um so that's where the disadvantage can come if you're like really focused on um, like what they're doing um for me i think it's a mix um like i have i'm like all right i need to do x y and z and that's what i need to focus on and i need to get really good at doing this and then if they change it up it doesn't matter because you know what i'm doing x y and z it's funny because, you know, I talked to my, I think his name's Mike Davis. He's got such like a regular name that sometimes you, you want to add a Smith or something in there. But, you know, he, we were talking about his fight with Mason Jones and he's like, oh, I don't know my opponent's name. I haven't watched tape. I don't even know what he looks like. He's like, I'm going to get in the cage and whoever the guy is that's supposed to fight me, I'm going to kick his ass. But I, I feel like, for, you know, fighting is so stressful and stuff. Wouldn't that be extra terrifying? Like not knowing who's going to be there and just, I know you believe in yourself and stuff, but there's a part of it where you look at it like as someone that likes to be prepared, like that seems like it'd be pretty terrifying. Just show up and do the thing. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess it depends on like how you look at it. Like for me, for grappling, that's how I, I view it. I'm like, uh, whatever. If I'm gonna do a grappling match, I'm gonna do a super fight. I doesn't matter. I'm just gonna you know go and do it. Um, for fights, I guess it's a little bit different because there's a little bit more like, um, at at stake. Like you know, someone's trying to like punch you in the face so it kind of changes things a little bit um but at the end of the day it's like a um it, it, it's what we're there to do right um and if you're used to like sparring training with different people then you know what it's like you get different looks in the gym so come fight night all right you got to do what you got to do um it really doesn't matter who's across the cage it's up to you to to handle your business so for you, what, what's kind of your status right now in your career? Because I know you tend to alternate from, I believe, it's CFFC and Invicta, and we yep. see you in both. I believe you fought for the title back in December. Uh, you mentioned a lot of people getting called up by the UFC. Like, what's kind of your status? Are you one of these fighters that, like, you, you're eyeing the UFC, like, you need to be on standby? Like, what, what's kind of your position right now in your career? I mean, for me, um, you know, I'm like a natural atom weight. Um, my last fight, I did fight um, a straw weight. Um, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't cut any weight to make straw weight. I pretty much, like... You know, I was like eating like cookies and like ice cream the weekend before the fight, like just to, you know, for me, it was more like, I was like, well, wait, I want to have a, you know, I want, I, I don't want to get too low. I want to, so, yeah. you know, it was like, it was the opposite problem. Um, and, you know, I mean, the, the, the fight obviously didn't go the way um, I wanted it to go. Cause I didn't get my hand raised at the night, at the end of the night. Um, but I did feel like the, the size difference in the cage. Um, and she wasn't even a big 115er. Um, so it was kind of like a, you know, it, it was um, like an eye-opening type thing of like, hey, no, you really are an atom weight. Um, so for right now, you know, atom weight in the UFC is not is not an option. Um, so right now it's like, hey, you know what, um, this is where I'm at, um, you know, between Invicta and, and CFFC and, you know, potentially, you know, maybe, fight, you know, getting a fight like in another bigger show, but right now you for me ufc isn't even an option that that puts you in a tricky spot right because we know a lot of fight and i've talked to a lot of fighters and a lot of them are like i'm not even interested in bellator i mean which which is crazy to me but it puts you in a tricky spot right because a lot of people they eye the ufc and in your case it's just you know that it's like it's really tough to go out there in a different weight class especially right. considering you know you didn't even have to cut weight which is pretty crazy like that's got to be real real tough for you to sort of look back on Right. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you know, it's just, it is what it is right now. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't really understand why like Adam Waits aren't, you know, part of the UFC roster, but that's, that is what it is. Um, you know, they, I think like they're, they have like certain weight classes, like, you know, 145, for example, where they don't, they don't even have enough people in, in <laughs> there to, to actually make like fights that make sense. Um, but yet at 105, there's the talent pool is really deep. Um, you know, if you watch 105 fights in um, Invicta, 
um, you know, in, uh, you know, for, for one, for, for rising, all those things, like those fights are exciting. Um, you know, and it's, and there are, there's like a lot of, of females in that, in that weight class where it's like, Hey, wait, it, it could make sense. But, you know, for them, for whatever reason right now, it's, it's just not, it's not on there. It's not, the cards aren't in the deck. So. It's funny because I'm seeing more of a push where people are like, listen, you have a lot of straw weights that aren't real straw weights, right? Like right. A, Jinyu Fry obviously is a big signing and everybody's like, listen, I mean, she's fighting above a, a weight class. Yep. Like, you can see the size difference. Uh, there's a big push for Michelle Waterson to cut weight. Uh, you know, we have heard her say she's not sure she wants to drop back down, right. but kind of like a Valentina situation where she said she didn't want to, but she did it anyways. Right. So that could be a big name in the division. Like it seems, obviously you see the mess at, at 145, if you want to call it that. But <laughs> right. I feel like, like you mentioned, there's a ton of talent there. Sign a bunch of people from Invicta as well. Like you'd have a real legit division out there. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not just saying that cause I am an Adam Wade. No, right. um, yeah. You know, it, like just even from like a, you know, a fan perspective, um, I think it, it would be a big draw, but you know, we, it's just, in the position where at as fighters we just have we have to do what we need to do um and you know go where where we're going to get fights so what, what's the goal for your career at this point is it about you know going wherever you can collecting as many belts like do you have sort of an idea you know with the ufc obviously not being an option like do you have an idea of what you'd still like to accomplish in your career um i mean i just want to get like as many fights as, as possible get as many w's and um you know keep fighting and enjoying it. Um, for me, it's, you know, it's more about, this is something I really love to do. And, um, you know, I don't have like necessarily an, uh, an end goal. Um, you know, if I went to, I want, obviously, you know, we all want to win titles, win belts and, you know, get to the top of the division, um, which I think is, you know, right within my reach, um, you know, a couple wins away. Um, but for me, it's more just, you know, loving, loving what I do. So can we expect to see you with an MMA junkie and MMA fighting at some point? Like, is that in the cards? Like, they're looking for people. You're writing. Like, is that is that realistic for you at all? Um, I mean, I haven't really thought much into, like, uh, the extent that, like, my writing and, like, uh, my, like, little Twitter and fight analysis will go. Um, I'm really just kind of doing it right now. Is like, hey, this is a fun thing to do. Let's, uh, let's just do it. And then, I mean, if it goes somewhere, it goes somewhere. Did, did that give you a new perspective on the media? Because I feel like there's a lot of like fi fighters against media. And in reality, it's like if some people understood the role of each other better, things could like, you know, there'd be a people like you could use fighters can use the media. The media obviously uses fighters for content. But did that give you sort of a new understanding, a new perspective of the media when you started doing that? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess in the way of a sense of like, it, like, I guess it, it like strengthened my connections um, within like, you know, the media because hey, wait, we're um, interacting more. Um, but it's also, you know, they, they need to um, write stories that people are going to want to read and click, right? Um, you know, and if it, it, it sucks, it's a crappy part yeah. of the, the sport. But if you wind up getting like knocked out, or like, you know, you just something like, you know, off the wall happens to you in a fight, it's going to be memed, it's going to be written about, right? It's just, it's just, it's the way it is. And there's really not any avoiding it. So it's like, all right, you can't really be mad about it. It's like, it's part of the game. The the one thing you didn't mention that I, I struggle with, it, it's the memes. Like, you know what I mean? Like, now you feel like every fighter gets mean, like Steve Bay. Like, how many times are we going to see him falling off a skateboard or something? You know what I mean? It, yeah. I feel like it, it's sort of, I mean, yes, it, it, we're in a meme culture, but it takes away from it a little bit, right? Like, you almost feel like if you get knocked out, you're hearing more and more guys say, like, I'm worried about the memes more than the yeah. fact that you just got a concussion out there. Like, that's so crazy to me. No, 100% because what memes go viral like this, right? Yeah. Um, and they're, you know, I mean, it's, but it's, it's again, it's, hey, this is the the world we're living in. This is the way our, our you know, the, our like social culture is. And it's just something that we, we just got to deal with because there's not, it's not going to stop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, it's only going <laughs> to get worse at this point. Like yeah. when you see, million like pages with millions of followers and they've got a picture of stipe getting memed you're like what like is it like this is not how i want people to discover the ufc with you know stipe <laughs> you know going down a slide or something you know what i mean like they, they put some respect like people are calling right. the, the go to heavyweight like it just but i mean yeah if it if it draws eyeballs i guess yep yeah and i mean that's what it comes down to and then it's you know then there's the people that view it as like uh there's no such thing as like bad publicity right yeah
So, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, I yeah. think it's all just perspective and, and, you know, and how you can kind of handle it. And, you know, anytime you're in the spotlight, whether you're, you know, uh, an actor or something like that, uh, you know, there, there's going to be good and bad sides to it. So one thing I like to talk about on this show when we have fighters and stuff like that, sort of their experience with the media, you know, doing the interviews and stuff, because you're fighting, you know, on smaller promotions like Invicta and stuff, you're going to do a wider range of interviews. Like you, I think in the UFC, you reach a point where you can say like, I only want ESPN and TMZ, right. but smaller ones, it's like, you know, you're going to talk to the website you've never heard of where they've got like a weird technique, like flyingheadkid.com <laughs> or something like that. Well, I mean, do you tend to do a lot of those interviews where sort of you finish it and you're like, you know, may maybe I shouldn't have done that because that was awful. Um, I mean, it, it, it's such a go, right? Like, um, I mean, like, it's it's one of those things where it's like, hey, if you want to put your name out there, um, you know, you interact with, with different people. Um, and yeah, of course, I've done interviews where I'm like, what the heck happened there? I'm like, but you just, you just go through it, right? Um, I mean, but for the most part, um, especially now, like, you know, just having like a better sense of, hey, okay, you know what? Yeah, like, let's do this interview. Um, I try and like, as best as I can, like navigate my way through where it's not ones where I'm like, uh, can I go like hide in the corner? <laughs> <laughs> what, what's like, can you pinpoint, like, is there one that stands out as like the worst ever? Like as soon as you hung up the phone, Skype, whatever, you were like, if that guy ever reaches out to me again, he's getting blocked. <laughs> like, is there, has there been that kind of interview? Um, I mean, there definitely has been, um, it hasn't been for, for a while though. I would say like more towards like the beginning of my career when it was like pretty much like, Hey, if anybody reached out for like an interview, it was like, all right, yeah, let's, let, yeah. let's do it now. Um, definitely more particular, um, especially with, um, doing interviews more just because I'm like, you know what? I don't want to like waste my time. Um, yeah. uh, it, it, you know, that's really what it comes down to. It's like, you know, I don't mind doing them at all, but if you're going to just ask me ridiculous questions or you know kind of be like a hood rat in the interview i'm I'm not interested <laughs> i i was watching one one interview and obviously i don't want to say who it is but like mm -hmm. the guy on there you know his question lasted like a very long time to the point where i'm watching it i forgot so i'm like <laughs> i forgot the question i'm like so i can't even imagine what's going through the fighter's mind but you know it was just like and he was baiting him to, you know, call people out and stuff. And I'm watching it. It's like, you know, as a fighter and the fighter was, you know, very good about it, stayed diplomatic and stuff. Right. But I'm thinking like, how bad is that for you? And even for the fighter, because you put them in a very awkward spot where it's like, you know, you ask guys, who do you want next? And it's like, oh, whoever they give me. All right, I'm not going to press you because I understand right. what that means. But, and then you have other guys like, who do you want? And they look right in the camera and they, you know, start naming people's family members. But <laughs> I, I feel like there there is some interviews like that where you get baited in the stuff or you do things and then you sort of look at it and it's like, it's an unfortunate situation for the writer because, you know, he's going to look bad in the future, but right. for the fighter as well, because they have to sit through that. And then, you know, maybe they don't look good because of the way it went and it's not their fault. Right. Right. Yeah. 100%. Um, and I mean, you know, it's just, like I said, like learning, right. Like, Hey, learning, like, all right, wh which interviews to try and avoid. Um, but then also like, you know, it's learning about yourself, right. Where if, you know, you're in a situation where you feel like you're being baited uh, to, kind of say something or, or do something that's out of like your character, um, really being able to stay true to yourself and, and, and not giving into it. And so what do you do in that situation? Like, do you let your manager know who, I mean, I, I believe I do follow your manager on Twitter. I think you retweeted the podcast. Stuff. Like, <laughs> Probably. Do, you, do, you, do you tell your manager like, Hey man, like never again, like you got a list or I mean, or do you yeah. let them deal with your media and all that stuff? Um, yeah, well, like, usually, like, um, like, if I'm going to do an interview or something, like, I'll, like, I'll run it by him and be like, hey, you know, what it, like, uh, you know, you anything, know anything about, um, you know, this guy or, like, this, this podcast, um, and, you know, like, he'll usually kind of look some stuff up for me, um, if he's not familiar with it, and, like, be like, no, no, they're good, um, you're fine, um, and, like, if we have one, you know, he listens to all my interviews, so if we have one where it's like, yeah, we'll be like, yep, yeah, nope, nope, not doing that one again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's crazy because you'll see certain certain guys were like the fighter's so much bigger than the journalist which obviously mm -hmm. that's the way it is fighters the star mm -hmm. but there's some you're like how on earth did that happen mm -hmm. like how did you get them like how did you guys do it and then you and you watch it and it's not very good and it's like right you know do you not have a person screening this kind of stuff <laughs> yeah i mean so i think some fighters too they're just like hey yeah you know why like some are willing to talk to you know pretty much anyone and other ones <laughs> they, they're not talking to anyone yeah I mean, last thing on this though, how do you feel about the interviews during training camps? I'm seeing more and more guys are trying to shut off the media during training camp, maybe yep. taking two, three, because you have to promote the fight. But 
is it, is it a big distraction during training camp? Like, how does that kind of affect things? Yeah, for me, um, we I try to do, like, I'll do a couple, like, more towards the beginning. But as we're getting, like, closer to the fight, um, it, it's usually, like, slim to none. Um, just because it's, it, it, it's your, your, your head's in, like, too many places. Um, you know, at that point, you're, like, really getting down on weight. So it's just, like, any, you know, little extra things. Sometimes it's just, like, I can't handle this. I can't, I can't yeah. do it. Um, I've had people ask me to do interviews literally, like, right after weigh-ins or, like, fight day. And I'm, like, no. Like, you had, yeah. like, you know, eight weeks to ask me for an interview. And you're going to be, like, hey, yeah, let's do it on the day of the fight. No, I'm not doing an interview on the day of the fight. That that's so crazy to me. And I've had guys where they hit me up like, "Hey, our guy just weighed in. Can you talk to him?" And I'm like, "You know, well, hold on, like that. You right. know, you, you know, is his mind really on? You know, I just cut weight. I want to talk to him. And it's like, you know, if I know you and stuff, like, all right, fine, I'll do it. But right. you do think that where it's like, you know, I don't believe his head is going to be on whatever <laughs> I'm asking him at this point. I mean, but some fighters do like that. Um, for me, I'm like, nope. I'm like, don't, yeah. don't. Nobody talk to me. I'm like, I'm in my room and, you know, I'm in my own space. I'm like, I'll go to eat and that's it. <laughs> you won't see me until the fight. Exactly. Uh, so you do stuff outside of fighting or well, outside of MMA, I should say. Mm -hmm. I believe you you own your own practice, if uh, I said that correctly. Well, yeah. What do you kind of do outside of outside of fighting, outside of MMA, all that good stuff? Yep. So um, I'm actually like a therapist, like mental health. Um, and, you know, so like right now um since covid um it's been uh, very busy um on that that end of it um which you know kind of makes my time a little bit even you know more valuable because it's you know i'm on um right now mostly on screen um if i'm not at the gym and i'm not training um i'm working um you know because there's all i pretty much wear every hat um in my in the business um yeah. you know I, I see my clients i'm a therapist then i have to you know do all the business side of it um i have to deal with the insurance companies so it's 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 been a lot so i have to imagine i know there's, there's things you can't reveal stuff like that mm -hmm. but I, I imagine you must be seeing with the lockdowns obviously it's been a year and everything like there must be a lot of more people that are depressed, right? Like stay, staying at home, not being able to go out and do stuff. Yeah. Like I'm sure you've seen a difference, a, sort of a shift in, in sort of your clients and stuff. Yeah, it's been um, it, it's been a huge shift. Um, it's like the anxiety and depression just across the population in general is 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 through the roof. Um, you know, they're, they're particularly within like teens. Um, the level, the rates of depression within like my teen population is is it it's it, it's it's grown so much and it's, it's so sad, um, to see, you know, what's kind of happening, um, at such a, a drastic rate. Um, it's happening. It's, it, it, they just across the board, you know, people looking, you know, seeking therapy is, is more than it's ever been, um, in, in history where it's to the point where there's not enough providers to, to, to the level of care that's needed. So what have you noticed with the teens? Like, what is it that, you know, I hear a lot of people like, oh, it's a social media. It's, you know, your brain wants the likes and stuff like that. But is it necessarily that that's leading to it? Or is it the fact that people are more aware and it seems like we've got a culture where it's like, you know, talk about it, reach out to people. Like, what, what what's kind of, you know, the cause of it, if you could pinpoint to it? Um, I mean, I think social media definitely does play a role, right? Um, because, you know, as, as adults, it affects us, right? So of course, it's going to affect a teen where their self-confidence and their, you know, their just sense of self is is not really developed yet. Um, and now you're adding in, you know, this whole kind of fake virtual world out there. Um, but then I think it's also to just the, you know, um, quarantine, um, not being able to kind of really go to school normally, um, you know, not having normal social interactions. And it's, it's literally, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot over the past year has been just screens for them, right? Um, yeah. Limited social interactions. And then, you know, as a teen, you know, home life can be rough, even if you, you know, you grow up in the best family, it's still, you know, you bump heads with your parents as a teenager. So now it's like, well, now I don't even have an escape. I can't go to school. You know, I can't play these sports I was playing. And um, like, how do I function? How do I cope? Do you see a lot of people that have like paranoia with COVID? Like, I feel like, you know, the big joke is everyone's like, if I cough, I don't know if it's COVID and stuff like that. But I assume for you, you must see people that, you know, mentally aren't doing well because they're, they're, they're in their head too much about it. Oh, absolutely. Um, and especially, you know, uh, my, my uh, practice is in, is in Queens. So it's within city limits. Um, and, you know, New York City was hit 
very hard yeah. um, with COVID. So the, you know, the 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 level of paranoia, um, you know, especially you know towards the beginning was very real, right? So it's like, how do you how do you battle that when it's something where you're like, no, that's like a real fear. Um, you know, is this really happening? So it's um, you know, it, it's finding the the a uh, balance with it of like, okay, yes, this is real, but this is the reality now. So how do we cope with it? How do we deal and how do we how do we continue to thrive? And so I mean, do you like doing the things on screen? Like I'm sure it's it's difficult to sort of get the same connection and stuff, but after doing it for I assume a year now, I'm sure you've found like a good, effective way of communicating with people despite, you know, the the limitations. Um, I I think it's like good and bad. Um, I think it's good in the sense that it literally opened up access to to treatment um, to people that would that would never reach out, um, whether it's just because they weren't comfortable, um, you know, just having time to do it. Um, so I think it's it's made it a lot more accessible to people because it's hey I can do this from the privacy of my home. Um, the the this the downside of it is is sometimes it's hard to find that private space. Um, you know, where, Hey, if you have, you know, if you're talking about something and even if somebody's in the other room, it can, you know, be a little bit less comfortable. Um, as far as like making connections, I think after, you know, the first couple sessions, I think the connection is, is, is pretty equal. Um, it's just that initial session of not being in the same space, but I think a lot of people are preferring it over actually going to an office. So is there a crossover with your MMA stuff? Like I know, you know, there's a lot of fighters that are also teachers and I always ask mm -hmm. them like, you know, are, are your students aware that you do face punching? <laughs> but for you, like with your clients, are you someone that you bring up fighting when you can because it's like a good analogy or like are people aware that they're talking to a, an MMA fighter as well? Um, well, I mean, like what do you do when you go to like a doctor, right? Especially if you're going to a therapist, you Google them, right? So, right. yeah, yeah so most of, most of my clients um, uh, do... Um, do Google me, right? Um, so I don't ever bring it up to them, um, but usually it comes up at some point um, because they're like, you know, it usually comes up in the same way where it's like, so, um, you know, I, I I, was like doing some research and I'm like, you Googled me, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, you've got a record with, you know, people whose asses you've whooped, like what's going on here? What are we doing? Yeah. And I, I mean, it's, I mean, a lot of my clients now, like they're, it's to a point where they ask me like, Hey, when's your next fight? Um, they'll watch my fights. Um, you know, so it's, it, I think it's created like a, um, like a, like, like a good, like, uh, relationship because it's, it, it, it allows them to see me as like a real person. Um, and especially like with my teenagers, because it's something that's different, um, something that they find like usually like, hey, that's pretty cool. Um, so they <laughs> yeah. tend to be like more open and and talk to me because they're like, oh, you're not someone that's sitting here like in a suit, like, hey, you know, telling me what to do. No, it's it's more of like, hey, wait, oh, wait, you do cool stuff. All right, I'll talk <laughs> to you. <laughs> There's got to be some kind of credibility that you get too, like, you know, this person's an athlete that I'm talking to, this person fights, like, you know, it. they must see you in a different light. And not everybody's aware of MMA, which seems weird for us because we're in the bubble, but right. I'm sure there's a lot of people where it's like, you know, holy shit, like this is a cage fighter with the mohawk and the jail tattoos, but it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really not like that. Yeah, no, not at all. And I think that's like um, part of it too, because when they first like find out, they're like, I would have never guessed, yeah. um, you know, because like I have like half my head shaved, but like when I'm in like, uh, you know, therapist mode, like hair's down and it's all covered up. Um, <laughs> so it's, you know, you they see me in a very different light. Yeah, that's true. I'm sure like, you know, say I were to do a session the whole time. It's like, you know, I'm talking to an MMA fighter. Like I knew you as an MMA fighter first, but for someone else, it's like, hold on, this person doesn't also train to punch people and right. you know do jujitsu when, you know, we're not, you know, doing the session. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, for me, that's like, that's my therapy. That's what like keeps like, you know, my, my balance in my life. And it's like, you know, two very different ends of things. And it's just like, hey, this is what keeps me, you know, in a good headspace. It's interesting you say that because I'm curious, like, what do you do for your mental health? Because obviously you're, as a fighter, like, it, I mean, it's a very stressful thing, right? Like, you know, there's something very primal about going out there and having that adrenaline and knowing that you're about to get into a very violent altercation with someone. I mean, what what do you do? Like, because people, I think, assume as a therapist, you'd look into your mirror and just talk to yourself, but it, it can't <laughs> it can't be that simple. Yeah, no, it's definitely not uh, talking to myself. Um, it's more trying to, like, make sure, like, I have, like, 
I have my time to like enjoy things, right? Um, whether it's just like relaxing, hanging out with friends, um, you know, it's a, it, but a big part for me is training um, and, and working out. And um, that's like my, that's like my happy place. So does that make you more aware of like yourself? Like say you, you'd know like the signs say you're slipping into depression or something. Cause not everybody realizes that, right? Sometimes you have someone that tells them like, does that make you more aware of like where you are at mentally? Um, yeah, it does. It definitely does. Doesn't mean that we can always, um, correct it or fix it. Right. Right. Um, you know, because just because you, you know, Hey, wait, you know, X, Y, and Z equals, you know, A, B, and C or, or, or vice versa, doesn't mean that you can actually put it into place. Um, you know, and a lot of people kind of think that they're, you know, they're like, Oh, well, you're a therapist, you know, all this. Well, yeah, yeah. well, it's, it's not the same. Like, you know, you look at, you know, you could think of like a personal trainer, right? They're, they can be great at training other people and doing stuff doesn't mean that they're, you know, following their own, you know, their own advice, um, very different, you know, very different sides of it. I think it's kind of like if you were to tell someone like, you know, would a surgeon, like if they need surgery, would they operate on themselves or right. would they get somebody else to do it? Like, I don't think anybody would imagine they do it. So that's why it puts you kind of in a weird position too, where it's like, you know, maybe you're aware of it, but like you said, that doesn't necessarily mean you can do something about it. Right. And I mean, I try and just be like, I mean, I'm a pretty like easygoing person, like just in general. Um, so I think that that's that like uh, kind of is my edge because everything is just roll punches. It's like, all right, <laughs> all right, that's what we're doing. Um, and it, you know, that's kind of like my motto of, of life. And I really try and kind of keep to the, the, the thought process of like, practice what you preach, right? Um, and like, you know, hey, if I'm, you know, going through, you know, something with one of my clients, um, and then I have like a similar experience, it's like, all right, well, you know, you, you kind of, you, you preach this, this, and this, and that's how you have to handle it. So, you know, try and kind of put it into play for yourself. I think it's very interesting because fighters, I don't think realize like how different they think mentally, like at least when it comes to the fight than like a regular person would like mm -hmm. Corey Sanhagen, you know, I bring up Joe Rogan again, but I was watching that and he's saying like, Oh, my family told me don't be too weird. Don't, you know, give up my <laughs> thoughts. But it's like, you know, I don't think they realize like, you know, we, we, as a regular person, you might not think that way. You might never have to get yourself to where you're in that headspace. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to hurt somebody. And it's right. interesting when you hear some guys kind of reveal their thought part, like, oh, people think I'm crazy. It's like, maybe they do. But for the people that understand what you do, it's like, wow, you do have to be in a different place mm -hmm. mentally to, you know, uh, ignore the anxiety. Because a lot of people talk about the anxiety they have. But to go out in the cage, you know, they lock it. And you know, like, okay, I have to hurt this person, you know, more than they're going to hurt me. Like, it's it's very interesting when you see the, the mental side of things and the fact that, you know, people think a certain way to, you know, even just to get in the cage. But they don't realize not everybody sort of sees or even thinks that way. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I mean, that's part of the reason why like most of my, <laughs> most of my friends are, uh, are fighters or, you know, at least people that train um, because it's just, you know, it, it, it's a different, it is a different headspace. Um, and, you know, mentally it's just, you're, you're, it, you are different. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's like a joke. It's like, well, we don't know how to hold conversations with people that aren't like fighters or involved in the, in the industry because yeah. it's like, oh, we're just like a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> Have you ever had a conversation like that with like say a regular person not into MMA or something like that and you say something weird where they're like, hold on, what? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like you mentioned that you punched someone or something and they pause for a second like, hold on, what are you talking about? Is it, am I talking to some kind of psychopath? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, 100% all the time, especially to be, I think like being a female, like, um, you know, people are like, you know, because I never bring it up to people, but like always like somebody will bring it up be like, oh, yeah, she fights like she does this. And then it's like, oh, man, here we go. People are like, what? what? You do that? And then, you know, and then ask all the questions and like, you know, you try and like kind of like divert them and you're like, oh, well, this and that. And then, you know, it's like, well, you know, usually the question you get like, well, like, what does it feel like when you hit someone? It's like, well, it feels really good. Like, I want to break their face. And it's like, what? Right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's what I mean by mentally. Like, for you, it makes sense. But for like a person on the outside, they're like, oh, my God, where are you serial killer? It's like, no, but you mentally have to get right. to a different place. Because if you throw like a regular guy chilling into a cage, like, go fight this guy. Like, hold on, mentally, whether he knows how to fight or not, mentally, right. he is not in the right place to try to hurt that person. Right. Right. And if they are, then that's another <laughs> problem. Yeah, that's right. That they need to see you for a session. It's like, hold on, man. Like you got some stuff going on up there. Like that's yeah. That, I, mean, I don't want to use the word crazy, but it's like, it's definitely something. Right. Yeah. There's something, something that, that that's a little concerning. 
But so uh, what, what's your headspace like before you go into a fight? Because I would feel like you'd have the advantage that maybe you're aware of some stuff mentally, but what are you thinking like before you go into a fight? Like are you one of these people, like are your coaches hyping you up? Are you focusing on your breathing? Like what's going on in that locker room like seconds before you have to make that walk? Um, I'm usually in like my own space. Um, I'm not someone that likes like, you know, people like, you know, like hyping you up and like that whole thing. Hyping you, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm kind of just like, I usually, like we do our warm up, we do what we got to do, but I'm usually kind of like, headphones on like in my own little uh I guess like zen space um and just kind of like talking to myself and um you know kind of going through like all right this is what you got to do you got, you know time is now um you know my, my thought process is kind of like always like losing is an option like you got to go out there you got to do everything um you in your power to you know get your hand raised at the end but you know I'm usually I'm more of somebody that's kind of like just by myself in my own little on zone. A lot of people they mention you mentioned the zone. Like there's some fighters that say like when they go in a fight, they're not I don't know if the word's lucid, but like, you know, it's almost like they're having an out-of-body experience. Some guys like they just watch themselves do it. Other guys, and and I was mentioning this about Kevin Holland, where he was talking the whole time. People like he's not concentrating. And I was like, you know what? Maybe that's his way of right, you know, not going into the zone and keeping himself actually focused because he's not allowing his brain to it's I don't know how to explain it, but it it for me, it kind of made sense in that way. But how much of it, like, do you go into the zone during your fights like that? Um, I feel like I like, like, <laughs> I go into like, a, it's kind of um, more of like that, that like outer body experience where like, you're just, you're just on like autopilot type of a thing. And you're, you're going right. and you're doing it. And you don't even kind of know sometimes like what you're doing. And then like, afterwards, watch a fight, and you're like, what? I did that? Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's where it's like, for me, it's like really, you know, training, right? Like, what you train, what you do in the gym, that's what comes out in the fight. Um, and, you know, for me, that's really how it's been. It's like, you know, once fight time, fight time comes, you're going to do what you've been doing. And we know some fighters, they, they black out naturally, not, not from a concussion. Like obviously mm-hmm. you get a concussion, you might black out, but how much do you remember? Like say the fight ends, like how much of, uh, or 10 minutes later, whatever, how much of it do you remember without having to go back and watch it? Oh, not much at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not much at all. <laughs> like I have to like go back and watch it and then be like, oh, this is what right. happened. All right. I feel <laughs> like even during the my perspective like, like, was yeah. very different. I feel like even the post-fight interviews, like sometimes you guys get questions that are so specific and it's like, you know, do they necessarily remember throwing that combination? Like a lot yeah. of it seems like muscle memory. No, it's awful. Those those questions yeah. are awful. You're like, yeah, wait, I just like, you know we just did like, you know, let's say it's a three round fight, right? We just did 15 minutes going at it. And like, now you're going to ask these, me some very cerebral questions. Like my yeah. brain is not functioning. Like I'm still catching my breath. Or it's like, you know, what, what went through your mind when you threw that right hook? It's like nothing. I'm watching myself throw the hook. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think as fighters, though, we've we've uh, developed, like, for the most part, like, you, you do hear some horrific interviews, and you're like, please stop, please, please stop talking, <laughs> somebody tell them to stop, um, yeah, yeah. but for the most part, I think we do a pretty good job at, like, uh, just knowing how to field those type of questions and, like, navigate your way through. Or I, I think the worst one is Overeem, right? When he was talking about the famous, he felt the tap, and then he, it just... <laughs> You were kind of like, hopefully they brushed past it because we knew he didn't tap. And then Joe just kept egging him on. You're like, oh, this is going to end so badly. And I have no – and then he's like, let's watch the footage. Like, oh, my God, my man. Like, Overeem was just knocked out, and you want to watch the footage with him. Like, that's me. Watching it, you're like, I don't even – I don't know what to do in that situation. Yeah. You're Overeem. No, it's just terrible, and you just want to hide. You want to hide for him. (laughs) What is it? Secondhand cringe, right? You're just watching it. You're like, like, oh, oh, this train wreck. No. You're like, please stop, please stop. <laughs> oh, oh, it's man. still going. Yeah. Oh, and I think the worst to me was let's look up at and rewatch it. I was like, oh no, Joe. Like, <sighs> you, and I think I put on Twitter, I was like, Joe, you didn't have to do him like that. And he right. responded, he responded to it. So my mentions became, you know, insane. But, <laughs> you know, it, it just, yeah, it's one of those, it's one of those train wrecks that you just watch, you know, like, man, it's, it's such an awful thing. <laughs> 100%. So listen, before we wrap up, though, obviously, I'm going to let you shout out your social media and all that good stuff. But do you have a lot of people on the street that try to challenge you to fights? Like, I feel like the fact that you would be a woman, a lot of people, they're always like, you know, could as a big 200 pound male, can I beat a a woman that knows how to train? Like, is that something you tend to get sometimes? Um, I get those questions like at like, uh, like social events, right? Like, um, 
you know, for example, I was at like a, a wedding a couple weeks ago and it was like, that was a question be like, oh, do you think you could take everybody in this room? <laughs> like, um, you know, like those more of those type of like hypothetical type questions um, I get. Um, I never get anyone like that's actually stepping to me and being like, oh, hey, like, let's see what you could do. Uh, that's just, yeah. That would just be totally disrespectful. And uh, yeah. I, I deal with that in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what do you what do you do with a question like that? Like, could you take everyone in the room? I'm sure the competitive side of you is like, I'll take everyone right now and I'll submit every single one of you. But like, what do you how do you answer a question like that without being an ass and without starting, you know, everyone trying to square up? <laughs> well, pretty much exactly like that. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I could take everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's usually my response. Um, and, but I think also being like a smaller female, and uh, like, you know, it, you, I can get away with that type of stuff where people aren't like, yeah. oh, really? All right, let's step outside. They're, you, no, they, they're, they're just going to look like an idiot if they do that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that definitely wouldn't look good. Listen, we've been an hour here. There's so I mean, so much to unpack, like even just, just the mental health stuff. So interesting. But I always like to finish by letting the guests shout their stuff out. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure you have a bunch of stuff you want to shout out. If you want to shout out your practice, social media, whatever it is, articles, anything, now would be the time. All right. Um, well, you guys can follow me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Lionheart Jill. Uh, my Facebook's my name, Jillian DeCourcy. Um, I also want to thank uh, my uh, favorite gift maker, Brat, on uh, Twitter. He's always making some pretty sweet gifts. Um, and some of my major sponsors. Uh, we got Seek Chick. We got Guard What's Yours, Receptra Naturals, Fighter Elias, Bushido Bags, Swole House Meals, House of Healing, Itza and Grit Mouthguards, um, and my coaches and training partners at Ring Sport Muay Thai and Long Island MMA, and my manager, Jason Adams with Underdog MMA. There we go. Well, listen, Jillian, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And for anyone that made it to the end, shout out to you because people, it seems obvious that people watch to the end, but if you made it to the end, shout out. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll see everyone for the next episode. Yeah. Thank you everyone for tuning 